Welcome to I Spit on Your Podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is the time once a month where Jess puts down her bloody knitting needles and Kelly steps away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. On this episode, we'll be starting part one of a three-part series on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We'll... Ow, ow! <laughs> We'll be discussing seasons one to three with a focus on Buffy's cultural impact for women in TV, teen witches, and the good girl, bad girl dichotomy with Buffy and Faith. So pick your poison, listen on, if you dare. In every generation, there is a chosen one. She alone will stand against the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness. She is the slayer. So when Jess and I first started this project... As soon as we started making some plans uh, for each month's theme, I immediately said, you know, at some point we have to cover Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There's seven seasons, so of course, let's divide it up. Yeah, of course. But we have to, or I'm quitting, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, we just have to. It's a beloved TV show for both of us, and I think it's a perfect kind of representation of what our project is all about. I completely 100% agree. Like when we brought this project together and thought of all the ideas of everything we could do, we didn't want to just focus on movies. We did want to touch upon a television series. And of course, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer was the one that we were one that we we're going to talk about because it definitely has a not only a huge impact on both Kelly and I, but it has a huge cultural impact on lots of people and people I know um, of women who have, of my of our age group generation. Like you mentioned Buffy, a lot of people say like I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was a formative television series is in my teen years. So one of the first things we're going to do then is jump in and talk about is Buffy's initial influence and the impact of women in the horror genre in the 1990s. So what made Buffy the Vampire Slayer attractive to a teen audience? Well, in the late 90s, the commercial market was all about teenagers and marketing about teen-centric series. This was particularly the case since teenagers from the ages of 18 to 12 were more likely to consume less television and be busy with after-school activities and exploring this new finagle thing called the internet. We all remember the days of just sitting, coming home from school, doing homework, and then sitting on the chat line forever with your friends because you just spent the whole day with them. I used to stay up until probably 4 or 5 a.m. with friends on chat rooms alone. We'd get our pop, our chips, our snacks, and we'd literally chat on a chat room all night long. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. I remember the days of ICQ and MSN Messenger and just like coming home and doing homework in quotation marks and just chatting away with your friends about everything that happened that day and then getting so excited when your crush would send you a message. You'd be like, oh my God, what do I say? So anyway, so yeah, teenagers were really busy you know, being teenagers. And so at the time, in order a show to be viable, it needed to not only appeal to teenagers, but also to a larger crowd, particularly between the age group of 18 to 34. So along came Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a teen-centric series that was transgenerational. It was a tongue-in-cheek homage to horror classics. It was a relatable show to teenagers because in the early series, we watched Buffy experience teenage situations such as friends, schoolwork, and dating among her supernatural slayer duties. On top of that, Buffy was not only present, she wasn't presented as your typical, stereotypical TV teenager. She was someone who was real and was representative of the reality of her own lives. She got into trouble. She was constantly being pinned as a bad, as the de delinquent in school. And she really had to, and she struggled with that. As for the adults, 
who were attracted to the series. It was a way to escape the dreary dullness of being an adult and feeling ourselves aging. And I'm, I'm saying this because I was a late bloomer. I did not watch Buffy as a teenager. I watched it in my early 30s, late 20s, so I can, agree, I can definitely agree with that statement. And it also, as you continue to watch the series, the Buff, Buffy's narrative grows and it addressed with other real life situations. So as she grows, we see how she deals with things such as friendship, community, morality, power, and conflicting roles and responsibilities. Not, a, not to only mention sexuality and intimate relationships. Jesus. Buffy explores alternative identities and lifestyles, magic and the occult, sexuality, identity, and non-normative sexual practices. Characters have multiple identities that allow for more complex plot and character development, which makes the characters relatable. These are fluid, and throughout the series, characters show their transformation and change their worldviews. So let's look at horror TV shows in the 90s briefly. There weren't that many... Uh, you had Tales from the Crypt with Rand from 1989 to 96, The Hunger from 97 to 2000, Poltergeist The Legacy, never even heard of that, from 96 to 99, we have our beloved X-Files from 93 <laughs> to 2002, and Are You Afraid of the Dark from 1990 to 2000. So looking at all the horror TV shows, they were, you know, had they had really short runs or they were kind of really low on the horror aspect or borderline kind of spooky like the x-files was much more sci-fi but there were definitely elements of horror pending the the episode that you're watching or there were kid shows like are you afraid of the dark goosebumps oh i love those shows <laughs> right i also loved are you afraid of the dark some of those were pretty creepy for sure if anyone knows if anyone remembers ghost Rider, please message me on t- twitter twitter on the twitter <laughs> or facebook because i remember ghost Rider, but no one does <laughs> i definitely remember ghost Rider. you're kidding me oh my god <laughs> yes of course I just totally forgot about it until you mentioned it. So, uh, <laughs> so there wasn't really a lot going on. And, you know, also, besides having a lot of horror-related TV shows, what else was missing? Strong female characters. And shows that had any kind of, like, strong feminist themes. Uh, minus our big three, which I'll go over later. But there was, like, a total void in everything of, like, super spooky... But spooky and teenagers combined, just everything that that we were kind of looking for. And we were ready for Buffy. We needed Buffy. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when you dissect the the name of the show itself, so the name Buffy is a silly, silly girl name, but it shows a sense of humor. The word vampires means that there's going to be some horror. It's going to be a bit of a spooky show. There might be monsters. And the word slayer means action. And we know, just looking at Buffy the Vampire Slayer, this is all going to be involving a girl, which is amazing. And Joss Whedon took our regular blonde, quote-unquote, bimbo character in horror. Essentially, her character, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, Helen, and I know what you did last summer. It's so challenging to watch her in that oh role run God. away from I the fishermen. agree. I remember one time yelling watching that movie and be like, Buffy, turn around and kick his ass. Right. Uh. It, which she totally could do, right? She backed down from nothing because she was totally, essentially fearless because she was strong and she was powerful. So Joss Whedon took that Helen type character that we see so often in horror and turned her into a hero, which I adore so much. And looking at just the first opening moments of the show, 
it tells you exactly what the show is going to be all about. So it's Julie Benz and her character, Darla. And the opening scenes of Welcome to the Hellmouth, you see this cute blonde in a schoolgirl outfit. Her and this gentleman, this her and this guy are going into the high school. She's acting like she's scared and he thinks he has to protect her. But, you know, the tables turn and she's the one that does the biting and the killing. She vamps out and kills the guy. Welcome to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, subverting expectations in the first five minutes of this show. Literally. So, I've so... <laughs> I had that same... I remember like watching that scene and being like, oh, he's going to be a vampire. And then when she turned into the vampire, I was like, damn, okay. <laughs> yes, exactly right. And I even, you know, watching this as a teenager in 1997, I knew that there was something special about this show, even if I couldn't really understand what was going on fully and articulate and everything, but I knew something was really special about it. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the most critically acclaimed TV series and the most studied by TV critics and scholars. This show is almost infamous and hugely, hugely important. So one of the other things about Buffy is that Buffy is one of the warrior women of the 90s. So in the 90s, so in the late 90s and the 2000s, there is a term called post-feminism. And that was the belief that the goals of the feminists of the 1970s achieved what they needed to do and they no longer needed to continue to fight. And responsibility then changed to be shifted from organized social movements to more about individuals and a change in the atmosphere of the political ideas and practices becoming set in attitudes and lifestyle choices. So in a really interesting article that I read titled Buffy is a, Tran- is a transgressive woman warrior, she is in showing, she shows this in being this individual who has a different lifestyle and different attitude and showing that what we fought for, what was fought for in the 1970s and the 1980s is still something that we need to continue to fight for in the 1990s and 2000s, but now it's different. It's no longer just on the big scale of the huge social movements, it's among the individual changes. So Buffy, she's a warrior woman. She has a destiny and she's called to protect humanity. And what's great about this character of Buffy is that she's able to, as a transgressive woman warrior, she's able to A, fight in hand-to-hand combat because she, she has the strength of a man, but she also has the grace and the acrobatics of a woman. So she demystifies gender norms by g- being a character who's both masculine and feminine at the same time. She also not only has her, her, uses her strength to save the day, but her intelligence, her compassion, her empathy, and sometimes even goes about a non-violent approach in saving her friends, saving the world. She has her chosen family supports, like her family is her chosen family, that supports and fights and grows with her as they find their own strength. Buffy fights against the male-dominated structures and forges, herself, forges a new path, not only for herself, but for people who are, surround her. Buffy is not only a, a warrior woman, but a, as I said, a transgressive warrior. As a disruptive warrior woman, she brings us forward into the 21st century with a message to combat with co-combating evil and oppression with discipline, intelligence, compassion, and understanding, and a cooperative spirit. So the reason why we needed Buffy and she was so celebrated and continues to be celebrated is, again, looking at... TV as a whole and why she became this cultural feminist icon. So the most important aspect of how Buffy changed TV comes down to her, our female hero. And we really didn't have much like like her prior to 1997. We had very few kind of like action hero fighting hero type female characters on TV. So a brief history and it's, it is brief because there's not, not that much that was happening. So in the 1950s, we had Annie Oakley, who did most of her own stunts. 
1960s, we have the Avengers with Mrs. Emma Peel, who performed martial arts, and she was the first reoccurring character to show the knowledge of karate, and really not many after that. From the 1960s to the 70s, we had Jeannie and I Dream of Jeannie and Samantha and Bewitched. Yeah. However... Mm. They weren't they weren't allowed to be as strong as they had the potential to be or show much of their strengths and they were really whittled down by their male counterparts. Very they were kind of stifled. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So they had this facade of being strong characters, but they are actually not a- allowed, so to speak, quote unquote, to be as strong of a role model as they definitely could be. In the 1970s we saw Wonder Woman, but more interested in her love interests than actual heroics. Charlie's Angels, obviously eye candy only. In the 1970s, we had Doctor Who companion named Sarah Jane Smith, who actually was hugely popular. Eventually, she ended up having her own show. So that was a large, that was a turning point. And we know sci-fi is definitely even more progressive than, uh, you know, with horror, with with regards to, to female roles. In the 1970s, we had Tasha Yar on TNG, good old Star Trek The Next Generation. It was uh, We had Cagney and Lacey, which subverted kind of some common gender roles on TV in, in more of like a police setting. But overall, there was not a lot of options here. It was pretty bleak. In the 1990s, things changed. We were ready for and desperately needing some other type of role models. So we had the so we had it's called the big three. We had Xena, we had Woo! Scully, <laughs> and we had Buffy. Our big three, and it all yeah. happened around the same time. The '90s shit changed. So again, the X Files. Dana Scully, though attractive, she's smart, and her looks didn't matter on the show. It wasn't. It was never a thing that was exploited or came up. She just is her naturally beautiful, wonderful self smart super super smart so intelligent and even that show subverted some of the gender roles between her and Mulder Mulder being the more emotional um not illogical one but that type of role and she was the the logical practical Mm -hmm. reasonable quote-unquote non-emotional one yeah we had Xena. Oh my God! <laughs> this is this is the show that Jess was huge into. This in show the 90s. changed my life in the nineties. Yes, exactly. Xena <laughs> is Jess's Buffy. Yes, exactly. One hundred percent. Whereas I I watched a few episodes of Xena, but it was never a thing that I got into, and also a couple of episodes of X Files, but I was just enthralled by Buffy and pretty mm. much only watched anything Joss Whedon from there on out. <laughs> uh, but we had Xena and of course who is an incredible female lead in an action fantasy type show and also with that wonderful supporting role and I forget her name. Gabrielle! There we go. I'm thinking Renee which is the actress's Renee name. O'Connor yes yeah. is, the, is by Gabrielle. <laughs> Xena's, Xena's sidekick but then eventual best friend also love interest like everything. Just everything. Super like strong and I know she was you know, she also had some action-packed scenes. So, uh, so there was our big three. And when it came down to it, um, awesome big three. Buffy was the most relatable. She was mm-hmm. a young girl with young girl problems, like Jess was talking about. So the uh, and then we started seeing more strong female characters in sci-fi and horror. A lot of sci-fi again. There's not a lot of horror TV shows overall, especially around that time. You know, we had Max on Dark Angel, Sydney on. Um, Elias, Veronica Mars, 
a show that I love, Battlestar Galactica. We had Starbuck and Sharon, Sarah Connor, and the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which I always still want to watch. Haven't done that yet. Captain <laughs> Captain Janeway on Voyager, Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. Perfect. So, <laughs> exactly, right? Things change. So, Buffy the show and how, again, how it changed TV it's this wonderful hybrid of different genres. You have horror, you have comedy, romance. You know, we got teenage drama, which I dr- I'm drawn to overall for some reason. Thriller. You kind of sometimes even a mixture even in one episode itself. So there was a lot going on. It blended a lot of really great things, but mainly being like a horror comedy kind of hybrid. This is a great article that I read for my Cabin in the Woods review and it's called sexism and meta horror why cabin in the woods is still my favorite horror movie and and it's by brooke jackson glyden and she said instead of satirizing the formulaic nature of horror buffy the vampire slayer mocks the sexism of the genre while simultaneously dressing its heroine in miniskirts and belly shirts (laughs) (laughs) in buffy you have strong diverse interesting character development something that was not regularly seen on tv if you went from season one to three four five six depending how long the show ran the characters didn't often change or grow that much as the seasons went on but our whedon characters our buffy characters definitely did very interesting story arcs throughout the whole show and we know whedon is not afraid to kill our beloved characters and we see this as soon as season two aired you know season two came about Buffy overall has a unique and refreshing narrative style. It's episodic, but with many arcs. And then that major overarching, you know, big bad um, each season going on. Like Joss Whedon would plan multiple seasons ahead of time to make sure that he properly developed the characters and the stories over time. It's so fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Buffy has been in my life since 1997. So it's 22 years, 22 years of Buffy. <laughs> and it's just, it. and my interest and adoration for the show has changed, not at all, minimally whatsoever. It's only grown, honestly, as time goes on, it's only grown. Um, as for myself, Buffy, okay, so I was originally introduced to Buffy the Vampire Slayer when I read, watched, read the book, and watch the movie and so it really only and uh, that was where my love for Buffy had came from but I didn't really watch the series until up to three or four years ago and that's only because I was I resisted it for so long because Kirstie Swanson was my version of Buffy from the 1992 film and that's what I grasped on and I remember like you know kind of like Kelly be like you should watch this I think you'd really like this I'm like no I'm good I, I really no I'm, I'm not really I'm not a fan of Sarah Michelle Gellar and then finally there's a point in my life where I really needed something I needed some kind of something positive uh empowerment female empowerment kind of rejuvenation in my life I was watching Xena again and then I Kelly's like you should just you should just watch Buffy so I did. I watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I love it. And I'm, once again, for this podcast, I've, Kelly's probably seen it a million times, but I'm, like, you know, on my third watch through, and yeah. Oh, my God. I couldn't even tell you how many times I've watched the show from beginning <laughs> to end. I couldn't even tell you. Well, it's been 22 years. Is and t- I, <laughs> each Christmas, when a new season would be released on DVD, I would get it, obviously. And depending on how many were released, I'd get one to two of them. They were really expensive when they came out at that time. And these, like, big, thick box sets. Yeah. And then I would just start from the beginning and rewatch it. It's... <laughs> I can't even tell you how many times I've, I've rewatched the show. So what I like about this show, 
a hundred billion thousand things. So, and I'll keep it brief because we're going to do three part series on this show. But (laughs) generally speaking, Buffy herself as a character. And when I first started watching Buffy, I loved Buffy. But I also almost equally loved all the other characters in the show and so many things. But as time has gone on, I have deeply connected to her as her own woman and herself and as a character. I love Giles. I love the just the element of friendship and all the Scoobies and their diversity. I love the mixture of horror and comedy, which is a favorite of mine. The incredible world building that Joss Whedon has in every single show that he does the witty dialogue, I still find this show hilarious. It always makes me chuckle. I find it deeply, deeply moving. And when Allison Hannigan cries, the world cries. Anytime Willow cries, I just, I cannot even stop the waterworks. She's mm. su- such a wonderful actress. And I think it's, again, going into that incredibly well-acted that's where I'll end. <laughs> many, many things to like about the show. Yeah, I, I'll have to say too, like, I'm pretty much like everything about the show. Yeah, there's elements of it that I that I don't like, but there, but I do really like the, I like the dialogue. The dialogue is really well done. It's a great throwback. It's great watching something that is a huge throwback to the 90s and 80s. I love the characters and I love how much they change and they grow throughout the series and that's what gets it like I'll like leave up like I love Giles I love Willow uh Anya even though we know we only see her like two or three episodes in um seasons one to three I eventually like become obsessed with her I love her you know Spike and Drusilla like the the bad people are like all the baddies are bad even if it has like that monster of the week type vibe I like them they're interesting characters and like you said Joss Whedon builds this really interesting wonderful world that you really get into and as the series continues to grow and progress like you why you're in why you're invested in this culture and this myth this um culture of the slayer and everything that's built around her at the same time too you're excited to see start seeing buffy break that and change that and that's something i really like about it the music's also really interesting so (laughs) (laughs) i love the score some of the music again it's of course some of it's dated oh yeah like seasons one to three, four becomes a little bit more quote unquote modern. Um, it's so there's some of it's a little bit dated. Some of the yeah, some of it's a bit dated, which I forgive things that are made in the nineties mm. for it being of its time. Um, what generally I dislike, especially now doing you know doing doing some research and as an adult rewatching things is because it's we'll definitely get into this later on when we talk about faith but the the general negativity that's shown towards some of our more powerful mm, dark yeah. sexual women who are at least are comfortable with their sexuality are overtly sexual and or they're just you know not timid about their sexuality there's some slut shaming going on here and again maybe a product of its time but it's just, it's unfortunate. I think it's a little bit of a low point for the series overall. Yeah, like, I, I would have to agree with you, because there's points where you're, like, it's, in their mind, it's, like, you're either good or evil. There's no black or white. There's no gray in between. And I think that's something, too, we'll, we, we'll talk about as we go on later in the series, as other characters become more powerful and stronger. Hint, hint, Willow. And, uh, have a bit of a tendency to fall to the dark side. So is that your only dislike? Or anything, anything else? 
<laughs> um, if I say what my real dislike is, everyone's probably going to shoot me on the internet. You might shoot me. Um, I dislike Angel. I don't... <laughs> Get out. <laughs> I'm stopping the recording right now. <laughs> so, Sprinters of Horror was a great run, everyone. Thank you so much for supporting us. No. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Um, I'm not a huge fan of Angel and that relationship, but yeah. <laughs> not into Bangle? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There's the, you know, the very uh, I know fanatical the Angel fans and there's the fanatical Spike, Spike fans. fans. It's a very, yeah. the, and there's nobody that likes Riley. We'll talk about, no, we'll never talk about Riley because we don't yeah. need to talk about him. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. How about how about the fans that just want Buffy to be like a strong, independent woman who doesn't need either of them? Like, fuck and them she, both. And she <laughs> doesn't, as yeah. we know and see later on. Yes, exactly. So, I may be dead, but I'm still pretty. Which is more than I can say for you. Okay, so we're going to. We're going to talk uh, briefly going through season one, two, and three with some interludes in between of our favorite episodes, top three favorite episodes of season one. Go, Jess. My top three favorite episodes of season one are The Witch. Um, sorry, not The Witch. It's called Witch. <laughs> you just want everything to be The Witch. The Witch. Um, <laughs> the Path and Nightmares. And it was really hard. Honestly, like, for all three of these seasons trying to sit down and figure out like which one are my favorites is hard to think to choose because they're all really good and they all like in a way like they build the same narrative so i love the episode the second ep- i think i believe it's the second episode when we have the witch or witch i keep i'm gonna keep saying that i believe it's number three because it's welcome to the hellmouth and the harvest as yes. the first two kind of back to back yeah so that's where we begin seeing witches in the series. So we have the introduction of Amy, who is going to be a recurring character that we see later on through the series. Uh, witchcraft being, it's like you know, it's not just about vampires, but about witches. And we see, start to see it's, it's the beginning of some character development, and growth, and of this idea of a world outside of vampires. And that is not just going you know, Buffy every week going to be killing a new vampire. It's going to be something different. She's going to have to tackle different things about. And and then we'll talk about this uh, kind of a little further on the idea of the witch brought to the world or brought to TV by Joss Whedon and the concepts of witchcraft. And so I think that's really interesting. It was a really good like touch a point that. So my top three, and I'll talk about the first one, my top three, and I agree when it like each season trying to pick a top three is challenging. There's so many, there's actually an incredible amount of really strong ones in season one, two, three, definitely season two and three. So in season one, my top three are the puppet show. Oh, Angel. Okay. And Prophecy Girl. Okay. And I it's probably slightly cheating if I pick a season finale, but I don't <laughs> love all of the season finales. Mm. There's some that I love a lot and then some I am just fine about. So I'll start with the puppet show. So I've always, since I saw this for the first time, loved the puppet show. For many reasons. So I think it is an exact representation of what, you know, what the show can be. There's, it's a really dark episode. There's a lot of humor. Again, it still makes me laugh. And what really touched me on rewatching it this time was that Buffy empathizes with the plight of Sid, the little demon hunter stuck in the dummy Mm, body. Also, he's creepy as hell, right? (laughs) Dummies? Dummies are creepy. 
Ugh. Um, so he was cursed into the doll, and he's a demon hunter, and he has to kill a certain amount of demons in order to be free. And freedom means death. And he welcomes it. He's like, finally, I can just, you know, end this, you know, torturous life. You know, it's not easy being a demon hunter. It's dangerous. And Buffy knows this is essentially like the life of a slayer. And it's early in her Slayer career. She's afraid of death, and she's unaccepting of her fate and her expiration date. She is aware, but she cannot accept it yet, which we'll see later on in Prophecy Girl. So she can understand already the struggles of fighting demons. It's dangerous. It's life-threatening. And I just found it a very kind of moving, funny, dark episode. So for my second favorite episode is The Pack. And this is when I realized that this series can go to dark places. So we know in this episode of the pack, the, the Scoobies go to the zoo and Xander gets turned, I guess like the, the spirit of a hyena goes into Xander and a bunch of uh, bullies. And they have essentially, or uh, hyenas, <laughs> they essentially become hyenas and they start, you know, terrorizing the school and yep. they eat a pig, they eat a principal and they just, it's... <laughs> I'm laughing because it like when you hear about the premise of the episodes, it sounds really dumb. And this actually used to be a, this is like an old favorite of mine. The pack. Is yeah, great. exactly. Right. Like I remember like reading a synopsis of it and being like, well, really? And then I watch it. And I'm like, this is a dark episode. And like mm-hmm. and it showed us that element of where the series can go. It can go to dark places and it could challenge our main characters to do dark things. And it was also a very interesting episode and metaphor about bullying and peer pressure and how that can really impact students in high school and what they what we do to try and fit in so that episode yeah I think that's one of the episodes that really like like clinched me when I was first watching I'm just like yes I'm into this I want to keep going definitely and then there's that that moment when Buffy is explaining to Giles kind of the changes that are going on in Xander and 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 he says essentially it's like a boys will be boys kind of mentality and I was like Giles Mm -hmm. you know that's that's slightly inappropriate. Xander's mm. being a dick. <laughs> well, and this is also the elements too of right of like how Xander is being like he's the, you know obviously he's the alpha male of this hyena pack and he is attracted to Buffy because she is dominant and she's fear and it, 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 it's an interesting because you see this and you're like so at the same time too he's attracted to how powerful she is and sees her as as a potential mate but at the same time too wants to dominate her and put her in her place Mm -hmm. and i was like that's an interesting thing how like sometimes we always talk about how some men are they fear uh powerful women but there are also this other huge extreme of there are some men out there who want powerful women because they want to dominate and subject subjugate them and that makes them more powerful in their eyes definitely it's just like this challenge that they need to desperately need to do in order to show their true masculinity you know yeah like you can't be an equal to a powerful woman it's either she is below you or nothing yeah exactly which is why he you know preys and preys upon the weak so to speak and that's willow you know it's really really very upsetting that's probably the first time i cried (laughs) because willow cries like oh god it's a great episode i agree uh my next favorite is angel I am a huge Bangle fan, so (laughs) I love David Boreanaz, who was 28 years old in the first season of Buffy, which is weird. It's like everyone being in 90210 when they're 30 years old, as they were. (laughs) So we just, we learn more about Angel. 
We know he turns out to be a vampire. We just learn more about this super handsome gentleman that's kind of spooky and shows up every once in a while. The relationship grows between Angel and Buffy, which I enjoy. And we end up having a feeling we're going to see more of him in the future. And we kind of know that vampires potentially can still be good. It's a tumultuous relationship. It's forbidden love. And I am a huge fan Mm. of forbidden love. Which is why I love <laughs> Buffy with vampires, because that's not a thing that can happen. That's not okay. So yeah. I do enjoy the dark, dangerous, forbidden love. My third final favorite episode of uh, season one is Nightmares. This episode is really dark, and it was um, a really, and I find this is what happens with Buffy, and we'll see this also continuing later on, is that Joss Whedon's not afraid to take on some pretty dark subjects, and we know that this is a an episode where everyone's nightmares are coming to reality and they're becoming true, and everyone is de- having trying to deal with how they face their nightmares. But at the same time, too, Buffy starts seeing this little boy in all these different nightmare situations that are becoming reality, and you end up finding out that this little boy is be- has was abused by his uh, little league baseball coach for failing for as he was told that he lost the game, they lost the game because of him. And so this is the first time that we see um, another time where we see the Slayers not only deal with demons and monsters, but actual human monsters and a way of educating the youth that if you're experiencing abuse, it's not okay. It is not your fault and you, you need to speak out against it because that's how you're going to be able to combat your those demons. And so I find that episode really touching and really gets to me and I actually always get choked up when I do watch it because it's, it's pretty upsetting. That's also a great episode. Okay, I'll probably I would probably say that for every single episode, but <laughs> that's also a really great one. And you're, you're right. Like this show overall can get quite dark and I don't know if people truly know that that is a thing that can happen in Buffy. So my third favorite is Prophecy Girl. So it's the first season finale. I do enjoy the master. He's probably one of the weakest of all the big bads, but I still love him. He's just like this classic old, you know, Nosferatu looking character, all in yeah. leather. Of course, if you're a vampire, you wear leather, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and it has one of my favorite lines of the whole series, which is, I may be dead, but I'm still pretty. One of my favorite Buffy quips. <laughs> Uh, So Buffy, and I find it uh, a devastatingly, very emotionally upsetting episode. So we have Buffy overhears the prophecy of her coming against the master and she's destined to die. She breaks down because she's super afraid. She's still new at this Slayer game, still figuring it out and and still trying to balance. And it's a constant struggle for her to balance a normal human life with a Slayer life. And it's, I don't think she ever figures that out really, you know, but it's really heartbreaking because she's like, I'm a 16 year old girl. I don't want to die. And I'm crying. The world's crying. She's crying. And I find it very upsetting. And we know that Giles already has a strong affinity for her and she's his first Slayer. So like, I think the fighting and the actual finale with a big bad is weak, but I think the overall episode is hugely important for Buffy as a character, her growth. And I think from this point on, she becomes less afraid and, un- you know, like insecure in her slayerness than, you know, she is in the first season. So I love this episode. Yeah, that is definitely a good episode. And I would say for like 
for honorable mentions like I really enjoy it because it's also too a bit of a throwback to the original 1992 movie where like she gets all dressed up to go to the prom and she ends up having to fight the big bad but she's wearing like the leather jacket and the beautiful white dress and you're like yes this is like the movie it's yes. all a huge throwback yes <laughs> she looks great yeah, exactly I love it yeah. it's so good yeah. <laughs> My honorable mention was the pack, because I've always loved that episode. Yeah, that's everything, huh? No weapons, no friends, no hope. Take all that away, and what's left? Me. So now we're going to get into season two and our top three episodes. So my top three are Innocence, Passion, and Becoming, part two. Okay. What are your top three? Uh, my top three are School Hard, uh, Phases, and Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. Amazing. So, yes, it's such an amazing uh, season. So I'll start with Innocence. So Innocence is the episode after Surprise, which is Buffy's birthday party, and Angel loses his soul. And so Innocence is the aftermath of that. I love, it's so cheesy, but I love that first scene of him becoming Angelus. There's like the woman smoking in the corner. She's like, hey man, are you okay? And he gets up, takes a bite out of her neck and then smoke. And he like blows out, exhales the smoke. And I was like, anatomically, that's incorrect. But man, is it ever cool. And Angelus, so cool. (laughs) Oh, so many things about this. So. The consequences of Buffy, if Buffy's sleeping with Angel, you know, that moment of pure happiness, he loses his soul, becomes Angelus again. So she is obviously devastated. Angelus is mean. He's a vampire. Obviously, he's going to be mean, but he's extra. Oh, he just hits you to the core, which is one of the things I love about Angelus as a character, because he not only wants to, like, kill, he wants to torture and hurt people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it can some, and it's kind of the, the theme of, you know, sometimes the consequences of, you know, having sex and our sexuality. Sometimes people yeah. turn out to be terrible. Sometimes they ghost you. And yeah. it's sometimes not what you're expecting. And people can be really um, hurtful. And then Buffy gets to use a rocket launcher against the judge. <laughs> she hasn't used a rocket launcher yet. And that was cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We find out the truth of Jenny Calendar, which breaks the bonds between all of them and her. And Giles is obviously very upset because he has fallen in love with her. And Giles, beloved Giles, um, after this, you know, there's a there's a scene with when Giles says to Buffy, you know, the upcoming the coming months are going to be tough. Yeah, no shit. This is a serious, serious season. And uh, at the end of the episode, Buffy's mom lights a candle and a cupcake for Buffy's birthday and asks her to make a wish. And Buffy says, let it burn. You know, she knows that, like, life is beyond wishing and hoping. Life is painful. And this is a lesson that she continues to have to go through and experience and to learn in life. Yeah, that is definitely a hard episode to watch, but also really good at the same time, too. So for myself, uh, School Hard... uh, 
I, this is kind of like a bit of a fun episode for me in the sense because it's the arrival of Spike and Drusilla. And I, as as yes. villains, <laughs> as, as villains, I really like them. I, I enjoy them both, especially like especially the, their relationship, and then like how when Drusilla becomes more evil, like when she becomes uh, not well, she's still insane, but she comes better in her in her health and stuff like that. And you see how how in the beginning Spike was really cool and really like a badass and stuff like that, and eventually he you know unfortunately he becomes a comic relief throughout the series, but at the same time too still pretty badass but i also like how within that narrative within that episode there's a serious narrative about the slayer's mortality and we find out that one of the reasons why spike is a big bad is because he's killed two other slayers in the past and you never and it's interesting because it's like you know that sometimes slayers don't live a very long life and stuff like that and sometimes you, you know they may end up battling but just to have a vampire who comes in he's like i've killed two slayers i don't mind adding a third one to my belt and you're like yeah he's some serious shit going on here um and then also too we we learn more about the past of An- um angelus eventually throughout the series with spike and drusilla so it's something i really like as well oh definitely i love that episode it was almost on my list <laughs> <laughs> So my second favorite is passion. So I think overall this episode is beautifully and wonderfully done. Like how it's shot, just the narrative, Angel's monologues over top of the episode. It's beautiful. And this also this episode I find very devastating. I'm really upset through this entire season. So this shows what's Angel, you know, shows what Angelus is truly made of, right? Passion shows really what Angelus is made out of. And Joss Whedon kills off, has already killed off Angel, essentially. You know what I mean? Like, Angel, as we know him, is gone. Angelus resides in his body. And then Whedon kills off a beloved, in my mind, important, influential character. And Angelus doesn't even drink from her. He just snaps her neck, ends her life. It's not even worth drinking because her death was not for survival. He doesn't need her. But what he does need her for is emotional impact. Because Angel doesn't just kill. He torments, he tortures. We know this when we learn about Drusilla, which torments him when he's Angel and his, you know, long road to redemption. And there's this, like, just that beautiful, powerful narration over the entire episode. Giles' breakdown. Uh, I, again, crying throughout this entire episode. And we do know now Buffy is ready to kill Angel. Unfortunately, it's taken to this for her to be able to kind of accept and come to those terms. We also see that Jenny had been working on translating and finishing the spell for restoration. She wanted to work hard and gain everybody's trust again and restore Angel's soul because, you know, she was I think she was a good person under all of that. She really didn't want to harm anyone with, you know her reason for being in Sunnydale. And I just think that overall episode is so beautifully done and emotionally upsetting. No, I, I would agree with you. I, Like I said, it's hard to choose an episodes because both of those ones that you talk about, <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, they're very impactful episodes. Uh, for me, one of my favorite episodes was Is Phases, and that's because I really like the character of Oz, and I find him... Oh, Oz, who doesn't love Oz? I love... He's so wonderful. I love Oz. We lo- so we learn more about him uh, and the developing relationship he's having with Willow. We, we have this new added element of werewolves added to the mix of the supernatural world of Sunnydale. And it's a new element of the series that we find really interesting and, and will be great. And a nice little addition to the Scooby pack. 
I really have I like these I like how Joss Whedon does like these throwbacks in episodes there's like that scene where Oz is like looking in the, the trophy case and he sees a cheerleading trophy and he's like oh it's like the eyes are watching me wherever I go and I'm just like yes that's back to season one about the witches so I was like that's so great <laughs> yeah we can't forget. Right? And so it's just this great episode of, you know, they're trying, they, they found out there's a werewolf. They're fighting, they're, you know, they're fighting against time to help save a werewolf. Because even though they're trying to stop this werewolf from killing other people, there is actually a trophy hunter out there who's trying to kill werewolves for their skin to sell to other people. So once again, we have this element of, you know, animal rights being brought into this episode because they're trying, that we have a group of people trying to stop this trophy hunter from killing a, uh, another living being who happens to be a human who turns into a werewolf. Also, another big thing is we have a character, a minor character in the series who comes out as gay. And that's a big deal on TV, like especially in the like late 90s, early 2000s, like having characters coming out as gay on TV was not something we would see quite regularly. And how a character like Xander tries to deal with it, like at first it's not the greatest because he's like, oh, I'm not gay. Like, whoa, no, just because we're associated doesn't make me gay. But at the same time, too, though, it's this kind of like the starting element that of something that we're going to see later grow in further depth and later on the season in the series so that's why i like it's also a great episode for sure and yes i really do enjoy the werewolf kind of archetype i guess you could call it because you know we're human the vast majority of the time you know what i mean and i Maybe we'll talk about Oz and werewolves later in transformations, but I, I really like how Joss Whedon um, deals with the the aspect of humanizing the werewolf and you know mm-hmm. not necessarily demonizing the, the the animalistic werewolf part of him. So he's a great character. Essentially, yeah, because a great character. Like because Oz is so sweet and funny and intelligent and so laid back, and then he's now he's got this very primal like instinctual part of himself that comes out when he becomes a werewolf. Yeah, it's so great. So my last, my third favorite is again going to be, it's a, the becoming part two, so it's a, the second part of the two-part season finale. And it is my, probably one of my favorite season finales. All hope seems lost. Angelus is, Angel's gone to the dark side. You've got two really va- powerful, influential vampires. You have Drusilla, She's powerful, and you don't think much is going to happen. They've tried to restore Angel's soul. Shit went awry. It's looking, it's looking grim. And that sword fight is one of my favorite moments in all of Buffy. Really, I love, I love sword fights. You don't see a lot of sword fights. Oh God, it's one of my favorite scenes, and I think it's the most devastating finale of the entire series and because I am a huge Angel fan and I think her and that kind of relationship and everything and I think that was just thanks Joss Whedon (laughs) of course in the nick of time we restore Angel's soul and of course Buffy still has to kill him which she of course does because Buffy has to do all the and make all those hard choices that nobody else has to do right and at this rewatch, I actually, after 22 years of watching the show, noticed something for the first time, which is the similarities in Angel's undoing. So his origin story, which you see between Becoming Part 1 and Part 2, um, is that Darla was his sire. So when he, as drunken Liam in Ireland, notices Darla in a dark alley, she's this beautiful, seducing, small, dangerous blonde. And she says to him, close your eyes 
and then she bites him, making him immortal. Buffy, before she kills him, says tearfully, close your eyes. Oh my god. Another beautiful, dangerous blonde takes his life and sends him to hell. Just like essentially what Darla did to him, making him, you know, a vampiric creature who's essentially a demon in a human body. So after so many years of watching this, I never made that connection. And they were so closely together. And I was like, oh, oh, Angel, just such that those parallels in his undoing. And I I was even more moved <laughs> and crying, crying, crying. You're like, damn it, we in the details, the details. The details. Again, there you go is another throwback, right? Yeah. Like, don't forget where these characters originated from because you will, he will continue to remind you. So it's, it's incredible. My third episode is uh, Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. So you'll notice a trend with me that obviously I gravitate to the episodes <laughs> that have witchcraft in it. And which is because I really am interested in the world that we Duh. didn't build out of witchcraft. <laughs> so, like we said, we use, uh, we we were once again we reintroduced Amy. We see that she's actually starting to dabble in magic, and she's using magic to brainwash a teacher to believe she's done her homework. So Xander's like, "Oh, I want you to, to you know use a love spell on uh, Cordelia to be able to get her to you know love me and come back." And we have that interesting relationship between Cordelia and Xander in season two, developing. But it's a typical love spells are typically the type of magic that goes wrong. And so Whedon is showing us the morality of using magic to force people to do things or to force something to happen that's not natural to happen. And it's actually interesting because I've been revisiting a lot of my own um, my own uh, text on and witchcraft and spells and stuff like that. And one of the things about uh, love spells is like typically you're using something for you want to use, you don't want to force someone to, into something that already they feel something for you already or force someone's feelings to help to be something about you that's not natural and so i like it how it's an episode that's educating the viewers that while it's fun to have magical talents it can be cool and it can be exciting they can potentially go wrong and they can cause more bad than good and then of course there's like that funny scene between you know buffy turns into a rat and Oz has to go and try and find her that's really cute <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that is definitely a, a fun, a fun episode. And as we know, even later on, eh, love spells and spells like that don't usually go well in no. the Whedon verse, yeah. in the Buffy verse, exactly for sure. Yeah. So an honorable mention for me would be Halloween. Uh, yes, a because there's the throwback line when uh, Willow when they all get chained they all get chained into their costumes and Willow's like oh couldn't she just have dressed up like Xena so referring to when Buffy is in the you know the helpless uh, damsel distress <laughs> yes. outfit and she's like damn it if someone had dressed yeah. up as Xena we would have had fucking Xena here <laughs> which is awesome <laughs> yes and I also That's love great. that this is the beginning of being introduced to Giles' dark past like who we are introduced to Ripper and I love this further character development of Giles. That's what that's me what too. Yeah. Layers upon layers for these characters. Exactly. Yourself. <laughs> my honorable, <laughs> my honorable mention that hasn't been talked about already is "Lie to Me," which is the episode with Jason Bear. Oh yeah. You know Buffy's old LA friend who wants to be turned into a vampire because he's dying. Then we get, we see that like underground, you know, club where everybody wants to be vampires, and Buffy's like. You guys are idiots because vampires are demons and they're scary mm-hmm. and you don't want to be vampires. This is not yeah. an interview with a vampire and those vampires can yeah. still be scary. You know what I mean? Like these are dark, dangerous, killing machines. Like you guys are dumb. That is a really I good I thought episode. it was a great episode. 
So we did two Twitter polls for funsies this month with regards to Buffy. So the first one was, did you watch Buffy when it premiered in 1997 or did you watch it later in life? For me, I watched it in 1997 and Jess was a late bloomer and watched it more recently. Uh, So out of 39 votes, it was 79% all watched it in the 90s, whereas 21% were late bloomers. So the vast majority of us, give or take, you know, this has been in our lives for a long time, which I wasn't overly surprised by those uh, by those results. But it was great to see that there's many of my generation that uh, watched it and remembered it. The other one was... Out of season one, two, and three, what was your favorite? And defend it below. There wasn't anything truly of note out of the, not a lot of people defended their responses, but uh, out of 44 votes, it was by a landslide almost. 45% of people thought season three was their favorite. Uh, So out of one, two, and three, season three. And 16% said, I hate Buffy. Nobody, oh. nobody came forward to tell me why, tell us why. I, I like take it personally. <laughs> they didn't tell me why, uh, why they hate Buffy. <laughs> so folks, if you're listening and you hate Buffy, you probably wouldn't be listening to this episode. But if you are, we're coming for you. Jess is going to put a hex on you. <laughs> I'll put a hex on you. <laughs> so thanks for everyone for participating in that. It's been uh, already a super fun month. So... We have seen that Jess really, really gravitates and loves the witchcraft-related episodes, which makes a lot of sense. It's quite prevalent throughout the entire series, and I'm sure we'll come back to it at some point in one of the other parts, because it's a pretty important aspect of the, the series as a whole, and then important culturally for teens and, you know, 90s, you know, movies and, and TV shows and everything. So we're going to talk a bit about witchcraft for teenagers, the you know, the witchcraft representations in Buffy and a couple of our favorite characters, which are Jenny Callender and Willow. So essentially around the time, like 1996 to 2000, we saw a wave of teen witch influenced movies and shows. You had Buffy, you had Charmed, you have movies like The Craft and Practical Magic. We saw a variety of different types of witches, you know, those in covens, those solitary witches, but we could see like the different types of people. It could essentially be for everyone. And Buffy was one of the integral kind of 90s girl power, girl with two R's, uh, to show, you know, to to impact young people, mainly women, uh, for them to get into witchcraft and Wicca and whatnot. There was a lot of the, like a lot of these shows, if you look at it, Buffy, a lot of female witches, the craft, it was four female young girls, charmed, three females, you know, three sisters, practical magic, two sisters, and like a whole family. Um, So a lot of it was targeted towards young women, and it ended up being, you know, this source of empowerment for them. You know, teens saw these witches kind of dealing with real world problems, things that were relatable to them. So they wanted to, they gravitated towards it, and they wanted to try and use it to resolve their own problems with life through spells and rituals and stuff like that. There was a huge wave of, you know, teen-directed witchcraft and spell books. Man, just Google 90s teen witch stuff, <laughs> and it's a whole slew of things. I even remember seeing all of those books in bookstores at that time. And also, which was a really important aspect of all of this, was the rise of the internet, right? So people could connect with 
people all over the world, which is still an incredible part of the internet. So people living in small towns, like, you know, Jess and I are from North Bay. It's not a super small Mm. town, but like 50, you know, 55,000. And, you know, people teens in your you know very emotional hormonal (laughs) state I mean you can feel very isolated so they could connect with people that you know could relate to them they can share you know spells and rituals and stuff like that to each other and that was really wonderful for them and they really you know uh, gravitated towards that so there was this book called The New Generation Witches, Teenage Witchcraft and Contemporary Culture by Peg Alloy and Hannah E. Johnston. And they had this really great quote. And it was, those who identified as teen witches described their involvement in wholly positive terms, that this allowed them to redefine their spiritual understanding of the world, enable them to overcome personal obstacles and discrimination, and gave them a new set of meanings through which to make sense of the world. And as teenagers, you're 100% trying to find your place in the world and make sense of it uh you know witchcraft and then you know combined feminism environmental concerns and new age beliefs without having the negative negative stigma or associations with each of those at that time you know again as a teenager we're trying to find our identity and you know this can be really easy and straightforward i found that quite that i found that for myself or not it can take years months for us to really understand and fully realize who we are and so at that time witchcraft really helped teens discover aspects of themselves that you know they didn't know before and help them develop their own sense of self Uh, some continued that kind of belief system and traditions into their adult lives some didn't either way it helped shape the person that they became as an adult And for me personally, I was one of those people that did not follow through with all of this into my adult life, but the craft was hugely influential for me as a teenager. I tried, I tried to be a witch, (laughs) (laughs) but then realized I was an atheist and still am, and that didn't really carry on into my life. But those elements of empowerment and friendship and, and confidence remained in me that I developed at that time into the person that I am now. So, you know, looking at Willow specifically, she's a highly relatable character. We all knew a Willow in school, you know, and if you read Jess's blog post, you know, she definitely relates to to Willow. Now I'm speaking for you. I'm sorry. (laughs) But, you know, we all knew Willow in school, you know, those nerdy, insecure type people and you know, I, I always felt for them. I was nerdy in a different kind of way, but I wasn't like an isolated nerd. I did have a group of friends and maybe just in my own teen mind, I wasn't isolated. But, you know, her confidence and interest in witchcraft grows over, you know, over through the whole s- series. But definitely, you know, season two to three, definitely in three, as does her confidence in other aspects of her life. We know she starts dating, dating Oz, she cuts off her hair, starts wearing, you know, less frumpy clothing she's still kind of nerdy but she fully embraces it and also starts embracing her sexuality she's self-confident you know and i think and i think both of us agree that uh, witchcraft was definitely uh, a part an important part of that 
Yeah, so definitely, like, Kelly touched upon a lot about why witchcraft was popular entertainment in the 90s, and for especially for young women, you know, teens being attracted to the idea of magic, and the ideas of being able to hex your ex, or, you know, make yourself popular, <laughs> or get money, or to feel attractive, you know, and then other time, there was, like, you know, over time, women would kind of, young women would kind of gravitate away from this idea, but still take, like Kelly said, take upon that confidence with them in life, and there were some other young women who continued to pursue witchcraft, um, and for more of a spiritual practice and that's I would say for myself like witchcraft has always in some way shape or form been a part in my life just it wasn't until the last like two three years that I've actually once I had 100% embraced it and started to actually make it my part a part of my daily life so what's really interesting is that with um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and like, a lot of articles that I read in relation to witchcraft and Buffy was that Buffy brings about a pagan narrative of good and evil that is really appealing to teenagers and is also very in harmony with a lot of neo-pagan attitudes. So in a way, this was seen in a way of Joss Whedon being able to support cultural dissent and deviance through social causes like feminism and environmentalism. And in Buffy, we see witchcraft treated in two different ways. In a way, like some groups of witches have condemned the theoretical version of witchcraft presented in the series, um, kind of like in the source of like sorcery rather than a religion, you know, because there's sometimes some elements where when, um, and this is obviously very later on in the series where Wiccans are called wannabe blessed bees, and that really you're only a dabbler, you're only a witch if you really dabble into actual magic and witchcraft. Yet, the series does show very positive views of witchcraft and a strong feminine characters such as uh, Kelly's already talked about and so on Willow. She goes from a shy geeky girl to a very powerful and confident witch. But despite some of the misgivings uh, towards how witchcraft is portrayed in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a lot of neo-pagans have really responded positively to the show and this portrayal of witches. We're presenting Wicca as not only just trending in a power for teens but also has a very, impact, a very impactful uh, impact on culture and change. So Whedon shows both negative and positive sides of witchcraft through the witches that he introduces throughout the series. And throughout the series, he refuses to put any witches in a mold, but allows the characters to choose their paths that they wish. And this is something I love and something I prescribe to myself as a witch is there is no right way to be a witch. You can be a witch any way you want to be. There, You don't have to follow a certain structure or a certain religion. You don't have to be doing rituals every day and every night. You be whoever you want to be. If you if you identify as a witch, you're a witch. And your witchcraft and the way you practice is your practice, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. And this is what I love about Joss Whedon's witches throughout the series. His witches embody everything from rebellion, gothic teenagers, to the occult, magicians, feminists, Wiccan, wannabe, blessed bees. The series alludes to the presence of a practicing witches and contemporary society, but refuses to define them in any way, shape, or form. And that is a quote from a, from a really great article that was about witchcraft in Buffy. That's great. Thank you. You know, one of the things I was actually going to ask you, which I think you have now just expressed was how do you personally <laughs> feel as a witch and how Joss Whedon and everybody that wrote for the show you know showed witchcraft and and witches overall in the show and I think you essentially answered that question which you are you think very positively and highly of it yeah I do like yeah there's some theatrical elements of like you know I just yeah. actually literally just watched the episode of Doppelgangland just before we're watched um we recorded and there's a whole episode where like well it's like i'm into the black arts and stuff like that i'm just like yeah no it's you know a little theatrical a little like you know trying to get that teenagers attracted to it but at the same time too yeah. they're like yeah there is technically black magic in the world of, of witchcraft and it's really just if you're intending to do harm to others that's black magic so yeah well i'm 
I'm glad from your point of view that it's a, a positive representation and you can, yes, it's a TV show or if something's a movie that there is going to be like, yeah, you're right, the theatrics to it, just maybe a bit of an exaggeration for, for you know, visual appeal. So I'm, I'm glad that that is how you feel about it. Yeah. So moving into someone that... I have grown, especially after rewatching some some key episodes, grown to absolutely love, and I'm so upset that she's killed, and that's Jenny Calendar. Mm. Yeah. So Jenny Calendar, early when we when we first meet her, says that she's a techno pagan, but doesn't ever we don't ever in the show really it doesn't actually ever define that and state exactly what that is. So techno paganism is a real thing. It's not just you know. TV show speak, but it's an umbrella term that characterizes several different beliefs and practices in neo-paganism, which Jess has brought up, uh, in reference to the place of technology in neo-pagan practice. So techno-pagans use modern-day technology in their rituals, you know, so substituting ancient magical tools for newer ones, like an oven over a hearth, and instead of having a book of shadows, they might have a disc of shadows, which makes me laugh for some reason, saying disc of shadows. But there is a spiritual side of technology, and that's essentially where she's stemming from. So Jenny Callender describes herself as a techno-pagan. So she uses online covens for support and help, uses the internet for research. Well, as we know, Giles uses old texts, right? He's all about the books. We have to consult the books, where she's like, I'm going to go online and, you know, look things up. And sometimes she's quicker at getting information, as we know the internet is quicker than trying to go through 1,500 different old books that all look the same. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so she has knowledge of both mysticism, magics, and technology. So she's such a welcome addition to the Scoobies, right? Because, you know, if you can blend those those realities together, we can only do benefit, you know, we can only benefit the Scoobies and what they're trying to do in day-to-day life, you know, banishing evil and whatnot. So, and for example, the, the episode in season one, um where Jenny's help defeats Moloch, the the demon who gets trapped into the computer. I, I, Robot You Jane is the episode, you know, the one where Willow thinks she has a boyfriend online and she's so adorable. So Jenny Calendar doesn't say she's a witch. She never refers to herself as one. She doesn't have herself powers, but she does have that belief system or at least that spiritual, spiritual side to her that helps them out with her research. So she has very modernized type spiritual practices, which, you know, is a nice kind of coincide with the older, more traditional views of spiritualism, magic, where there's herbs and potions and spells and things. And we also see her using technology. There's a program that she... I know so much about this damn show. (laughs) (laughs) That's so much of my memory. She uses... She has created um, a program on the computer that translates an old text using just a sample of it um, to translate that the spell of restoration, I believe that's what it's called for for restoring Angel's soul. So that's that's hugely important, right? She uses her technology and her her connections to kind of put all that together. And that spell and just the introduction of Jenny Calendar herself influences Willow. She's important in the in the path of you know Willow going to become a witch, right? So later on, we see Willow actually ends up performing this spell to success and furthering her interest into witchcraft, and already showing that Willow has tremendous power that grows and grows and grows. 
right? She becomes a goddess, essentially. So she's so great. Um, so Jenny is this wonderful influence that gets Willow into magic, but she's also this really wonderfully strong feminist role model for Willow and all the other, you know, teenagers in the show. Um, she's strong. She's independent. You know, she's super comfortable with her sexuality. And all of this goes against the patriarchal views of female sexuality and kind of the overarching uh, oppressive system of, you know, being a slayer, the Watcher's Council and everything. And we can see that within her interactions with Giles, who is definitely much less forward than her, but he is adorable with her advances. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, you know, and there's not many female older role models for the Scoobies and a lot of the Mm. the adults in the show are seen as you know adversaries to the teenagers where she becomes like their friend so I find her death it's just deeply upsetting and you know everybody is really upset by it especially Willow you know because she just I think she really looked up to her and she was a really great moral model and thanks Joss again (laughs) (laughs) yeah for ruining everyone's lives continuously. (laughs) (laughs) So magic overall in Buffy we've seen is very earthbound. It's not that, you know, that, that old trope of, you know, witchcraft being all about Satan and these, you know, witches worship Satan and everything. It's used, you know, to help out banishing evil, but also as a form of empowerment for some of the women on the show, like Willow, as we talked about. And we talked about, and we'll continue to talk about, how witchcraft helps Willow become a confident young lady. I mean, she's already super intelligent in science and math and everything. And then, you know, you add magic into the mix. And Willow is a force to be reckoned with, right? She, overall... So going back to the the satanic kind of witchcraft type thing. So Buffy shows witchcraft that's unlike regular kind of occult horror films, again, where witchcraft can be linked to the devil and things being evil. But I feel like it's quite balanced. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, Jess, but it does. I think it shows a pretty good balance of, you know, magic and witchcraft can be used for good but there is a dark side to it and there is potential dangers and Giles warns Willow of this because he himself as we learn in that episode Dark Age we see a bit more of Giles's past that magic can be very consuming it can be very powerful it feels really good and having that kind of power can almost easily overtake people and you know he was worried about that happening with willow i mean she's young of course he wants to kind of protect her uh for that so yeah so i I feel like there's a i think there's a good balance of how it's represented completely 100 percent agree so i'm not going to touch a because obviously kelly did an amazing job talking about jenny calendar as a character um in buffy the vampire slayer and i completely 100 percent agree that i enjoyed jenny's character right from the get-go when i first watched it because once again we're able to see this blend of old witchcraft and modern witchcraft coming together and it's actually something that I've kind of struggled with is one of the things they're always talking about is like you know for uh, having um, a grimoire or a book of shadows you should have like this book that you write in every day and then you add your stuff to it and all your spells and 
I'm really bad at that. Like, I can't even barely keep a journal going half the time on a regular basis. So I like this idea of, you know, using modern witches are using more and more technology to build up their book of shadows. And we're technically to we use Pinterest and Instagram now or we have like little blogs that we have blogs that we do. And those are kind of what we're building as our book of shadows. And that's really interesting. And in a way, like it's nice to see that in the 1990s, we had a character like Jenny kind of bridging that gap between technology and um old witchcraft and I also like the interesting idea is that when we were first introduced to Willow as a character Willow was the techno geek she was all like you know math and science and she was the computer person she was able to hack into things and stuff like that then she meets Jenny who is also a techno geek but at the same time too a witch and it's like this interesting that oh so like Willow can change as a character because you think that oh is Willow going to be the technology person is she just going to be another trope in another series where she's always hacking into systems and doing that no she changes and she adds that both together as she becomes the new techno pagan or techno witch for us uh, throughout the series another interesting idea is that Jenny herself she's introduced as a gypsy and this can be a little bit problematic as as we know using the phrase gypsy now is not a good thing to say um, and this whole idea of a gypsy curse and so it kind of like back in historically and kind of a culturally it's people once again they view uh, gypsies as being untrustworthy magic users and so that's a little bit for me a little controversial in the sense of in relation to uh, Jenny as a character but it's not something that's overemphasized and I like the fact that she breaks away from her family's traditions to be her own person and to you know figure out a spell to be able to restore Angel's soul to break the curse that her uh, family put on him. And so, yeah, once again, Jenny, she is instrumental to Willow's development as a witch. After she dies, Willow inherits her magic in uh, Jenny's laptop and gaining access to all her spells, and she's able to complete the spell and save Angel. Um, she also is able to employ her talents for the group as we go. So it's really nice that in seasons one, two, and three, we, we start to see this these different ideas of witches. In season one, we saw witch, we see uh, the witch in the form of Catherine Madison, the, the mother Amy, who uses her abilities to switch bodies with her daughter and eliminate threats through cheerleading positions. So a very selfish idea of a witch. You know, she's using kind of voodoo dolls and that idea of, um, you know, for your own personal gain and your own personal glory. In season two, we get introduced to uh, Jenny Callender. She's a techno-pagan. She passes her knowledge on to her students and her spells to the Scooby gang to be able to help uh, Willow. And then eventually in season three, we, we see Willow become the spellcaster of the group. She increases her study. She uses her spells to help the group out. When she meets up with Amy again, they start seeing themselves dabbling in witchcraft, um, you know, and kind of leads to one of my favorite episodes that we'll talk about in season three, uh, Gingerbread. Don't worry. Stay around the curves. So now we're going to talk about our top three favorite episodes from season three. And my top three from season three are The Wish, Bad Girls, and Helpless. How about you? Uh, this list actually changed up quite a few times. <laughs> um, but I finally <laughs> decided that my three, three favorite episodes of season three are The Wish, Gingerbread, and Helpless. Amazing. Okay, so we have yes. two two of the same here so let's talk about the wish first what is it about the wish that you love i love the introduction of anya um a vengeance demon i think that's really interesting i love her character and i will end up loving her character throughout the series and i like that you know it sucks that i thought i like this uh idea of the relationship between cordelia and xander 
and we see how it ended and so we're seeing how Cordelia is dealing with how this relationship ended and the pain that she kind of went through because she eventually she kind of gets impaled when she's there rescued and so when she makes this wish to be like imagine a world without Buffy or if Buffy had never come to Sunnydale and, and to see that essentially by living over a hellmouth all of all hell breaks loose literally and we see uh, Vampire Willow and the excuse me vampire willow and xander which is really interesting um and once again we'll revisit with doppelgang when but yeah that's what i like about the wish definitely i love anything that's like an alternative reality of what we normally have Mm. number one i love that about it um you're right xander and um and willow as vampires hot (laughs) right and of course yes I agree it introduces us to Anya a wonderful wonderful character throughout the series Uh, I think the show I think it really shows some of Cordelia's humanity I mean when she finds out that Xander and Willow are dead you know she's quite she's quite upset and she's like oh no 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 this is not Mm -hmm. this is not the right life as much as you know she thought it was quote unquote terrible before like this is infinitely worse you know Uh, I love it's interesting to see that Giles stays in Sunnydale and still fights the good fight along with Oz you know so it's interesting to see that in a different type of reality where people's characters lead do they do something different like you know Xander and Willow becoming vampires or are they you know continuing Oz on as we know them you know the the good fighters right so i love buffy because she's all dark and badass (laughs) and i love a good scar which doesn't make sense as a slayer because they have superhuman powers and she would never have a scar but you know it's details (laughs) Uh, but i love a good facial scar (laughs) again you know coming back to destiny and fate you know she still dies at the hands of the master so truly and then she's not coming back from a broken neck not like her drowning incident so i find that again interesting that even though she doesn't she doesn't event like she eventually comes to sunnydale but she isn't originally she doesn't originally go there she still dies at the hands of the master willow's signature line is a vampire bored now yes infamous And we also see that again before she flays Warren in season six. Yeah. So (laughs) such a great, great episode and the sexuality of vampires. I don't know if anybody else thought that the the death of Cordelia by Xander and Willow uh, synchronized biting was hot. But uh, (laughs) hello. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Uh, Yeah. So. Yeah, I you know, we both love that episode. There's so many in season three to pick from. So, uh, all right. And we both agreed on Helpless. So what is it about Helpless that you were drawn to so much? I, I, and like, I don't honestly make, just made that decision up today. Like I was actually going to go watch uh, Earshot and, yeah. and talk about that one. But then I saw Helpless and I was like, oh no, I remember this episode and watching it. I love the fact that, the relationship between Buffy and Giles develops and we see it as going we, we've seen it for a while going from that of you know the Slayer and her Watcher to being kind of like uh, Giles is becomes like a, a father figure to Buffy and I love the fact that you learn more about 
um, the Watchers Council the and how they orchestrate things. And I love the line from Giles when he's just like, you know, when when the guy says to her, you know, we're we're fighting a war, and he's like, no, we're waging a war, and Giles is like, no, she's waging this, she's fighting this war, you guys are just sitting in the back doing nothing. You know, you're trying to yes. control her and control what she does, but you don't understand that she's a human being, she is someone who has a life, she has people around her who love her, and we can't treat her this way, we can't treat her as just a tool, and just an instrument that we point in a direction to go and fight evil for us wherever we go. She has a choice, and she has choices, and I love that you know, even though it's such a betrayal that, like, that scene when Giles um, comes out and, and shows her that the serum that he's been injecting her with to make her weaker and in, in preparing for this challenge um, in fighting the vampire, just that whole, like, that look of betrayal on her face and just so heartbreaking because you're just like, you know that Giles did not really want to do this. But yet th this is at the same time, too, a pivotal moment that you see that Giles is, like, is breaking with tradition. Uh, you see, and this, and we're gonna see the beginning of Buffy breaking with the Watchers, the Watching Count, Watchers Council. You know, this, 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 it's a, we see the beginning of the end of this whole patriarchal system that is controlling the Slayers, and I love that about it. Me too. Yes, yes, exactly. And yes, well, the Watchers Council really sees the, the Slayers all as completely expendable disposal human beings yeah. disposable human beings right because if Buffy dies another one's called then away we go they can sit idly on and the Slayer has to live a dangerous life and fight and die you know and this is up on our 18th birthday so and a lot of Slayers don't live to be 18 so you know Buffy is one of the the more special ones and if she goes she passes this big test that measures her courage resourcefulness and whatever um, you know, it shows her competency of being a slayer. I just, I think it's a dumb test because yeah. they're slayers for a reason, you know, still take away their superpowers. I know that I'm sure that there are some slayers that failed, quote unquote, failed this bogus test. But I mean, they're slayers. You know, I don't think you need to test their skills. They, mm -hmm. If she's lived this long, I think she's doing a pretty good job. And you're right. This is the beginning of the distrust of the council and her eventually quitting. Same with Giles. Well, he gets he gets fired, right? And then we see yeah. Wesley later on. And one of the the parts that I found found really interesting. So when Buffy is eliminated of all her power, she is now seen as so weak. And she sees herself mm -hmm. as weak. But then she also doesn't uh, doesn't even know who she is anymore. Like, how can she be Buffy without her power? She can't be the Slayer. Then who is she? It's like this whole existential crisis that she goes through because she doesn't, yeah. she doesn't know anything else. And as a teenager, you're developing your sense of identity and who you are and who she is and her identity is the Slayer. And if she doesn't do that, like, what, what else, what, who else, who else can she be? You know, and there's this moment where she's walking home from Angels and she's like, you can tell she's very insecure. She's very vulnerable in this moment. And you can just tell mm -hmm. how she's walking. She's not walking confidently. She's very, she's afraid. She's insecure. And those men kind of start catcalling her and following her. And Buffy has yeah. never, like, for I, at one point, you know, was a vulnerable woman, but 
As far as we know her, she's never been physically inferior to any man or anyone, especially men, yeah. right? She can always yeah. overtake them easily. And now she kind of knows, it's like, oh, yeah, this is really, this is what women go through. And then we kind of, because we don't often see this kind of interaction with uh, men and Buffy overall throughout the seven seasons. The odd time you might but generally speaking this was a it was it was dark it was night it was a really scary moment because mm-hmm. if they would have acted upon their assault she would have just been like you and I you know she yeah. would we would not we would tried our best but we would not have been very successful in fighting back and i found that a very kind of poignant dark upsetting moment yeah no, i oh. i completely 100% agree with you on that and your third one is gingerbread so my, that was my third one because once again we are introduced to witchcraft. Uh, we have this kind of we're kind of saying we're being introduced to this darker element of witchcraft where we see Willow and Amy and other teens are they're somewhat practicing darker magic with images. Uh, they're doing like ceremonial magic. They're in black robes and they're kind of forms of account and the, uh, of the occult. And this is kind of that theoretical idea of magic that comes into these episodes. But what really interests me about this episode is that. This episode explores a really negative connotation towards witchcraft in history and the present. Often the occult is associated with witches and thus a witch hunt is always must be started. We see this episode addressing stereo neg- uh, negative stereotyping of individuals and subcultures. So the character of Michael, who is a goth, and he's an outcast, so he must be a witch. Willow, she's goofy but and lovable, but her involvement in witchcraft is seen as a cry for attention. This is often associated with teenagers when they become involved in magic. Uh, Willow is using witchcraft to explore feelings of isolation and rejection, but at the same time to gain a sense of purpose and empowerment, especially because you start to really learn about the relationship of Willow with her mother. Her mother doesn't even see her. Her mother didn't even know she cut her hair. And, you know, she, uh, that scene where she's like, oh, you cut your hair. She's like, yeah, back in August. She's like, oh, it looks great on you. And it's like, oh, oh, my God. Ouch, mom. Like, really? And then this whole idea. This whole idea where like her mother is like, oh, it's so ironic how I was like, yeah, I co-wrote a paper on mysticism, the rise of mysticism in teenagers. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is this whole episode right here is talking about this idea of why teenagers go into witchcraft. But what really got me too is this whole idea of ignorance about witchcraft and how when people don't know what they, if people don't know and understand something, it leads to accusations, it leads to invasion of privacy. Um, I was really upsetting that whole locker search when, you know, Xander's like, is this Nazi Germany? Like going through all the teenagers' lockers, taking all their stuff out and like, oh, what's this? This must mean you're a witch and, you know, we're going to take you offside. And, you know, and just how this misunderstanding leads to destruction of knowledge, you know, going through all of Giles' library and taking all the important books and stuff like that. And, you know, eventually they could get burned. And also, too, the inevitable violence that comes from misunderstanding and not hearing the rationale or the reasoning as to why these things are happening and very importantly especially then we have mothers turning against daughters and this is very much like you know the Salem witch trials where we had daughters turning against their mothers saying oh you did something strange and unusual that makes you a witch and so we see uh, Joyce and um Willow's mother like essentially going to burn their children at the stake because Buffy's a slayer and she's involved in the occult in some way and we have uh, Willow who's a witch and so that uh, so that episode really gets me because it's really a really powerful episode and really talks about the history of witchcraft right in this element this episode definitely it's a it's a wonderful one and I love how you know the show overall comes back to these witchcraft based you know, focused episodes. And that one is a really good one too. There's so many. 
and yeah. I know you feel very passionately about these <laughs> witchcraft episodes, which of course makes sense. Yeah. So my third favorite is Bad Girls. Yeah. Ow, ow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel this is where we really can see that good good girl, bad girl kind of dichotomy between Buffy and Faith. You know, Faith is kind of like our anti-Buffy and Buffy tries to act like Faith. She tries to break the rules, party more, have more fun, break the law, you know, trying to live that outlaw kind of isolated life. But obviously it doesn't work for her. It's very problematic. It's not who she is. She throws on her leather pants thinking she's like Faith. I love when she always brings out the leather (laughs) in very particular moments of this series. It's a reoccurring uh, clothing theme for her. And... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a fun like let's be slayers and let's like it's a very slayeresque you know based focused episode uh, but the important aspect of it is Buffy and Faith are running through the alley Faith accidentally kills a man Buffy is absolutely obviously devastated by it and the next episode after that called Consequences is when they deal with that but you know she's really worried as to like what Giles is going to think what does this mean you know uh, but but uh, bleh, sorry. But Faith, quote unquote, takes care of it in her Faith way, right? She gets yeah. rid of the body. She like dries her hands of it. I'm like rubbing my hands together, and she's like, <laughs> "It's done. Don't worry about it. Five by five, you know." But you know, she's got blood on her hand. She goes back and revisits that dead body, and she initially, you can see. You can see the wheels turning. She's just like, oh, no, this is bad, but I'm really curious about this. Look at the power. We already know. I love Faith. We already know that she thinks she's superpower and she is superior. Like, that. that is mm. essentially, like, her base, you know, mottos. You know what I mean? So this, where, this is where, you know, she's like, I don't care that she killed yeah. a man and then her path to evil or the dark side the bad side kind of begins from there and a side note about the clothing is like she you know Buffy is tries to emulate Faith in some of her her clothing and everything but when she goes back to visit Faith she's in the most pastel colored wearing little cardigan and dress and little bow in her hair her little flower in her hair and she's like oh no I'm Buffy I'm the good girl and putting my dress back on, you know, it's all has always been one of my favorite episodes. I think it's fun and also very poignant. Yeah. And I will agree. That's my honorable mention is bad girls. Um, pretty much for the exact same things. All of that. Bad girls, honorable mention band candy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait to watch that tomorrow. It's great. Yes. Also, The Prom. The Prom was almost going to be on my list, but I just think it's a really, really sweet, wonderful episode. And Buffy gets finally some recognition for the work that she does. She never asks for it, but she gets it. And I cry and I cry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cry and I cry. Speaking of faith. The good girl, bad girl. The good girl, bad girl dichotomy. Buffy versus Faith. Oh, Kelly. Faith. I love ding, Faith. Ding. Yes. I love and adore Faith. And I think there are such wonderful diversity in all of the female characters in Buffy the Vampire Slayer that I love. I love the show in this so much. And... I love Buffy for who she is and everything she does. Faith is so 
interesting and I do really love her story arc as well and Jess I know you haven't watched Angel but I really recommend at least watching the Faith related episodes to kind of complete your picture of Faith just pick out those episodes and watch them you don't have to watch the full season like the whole series of Angel to just watch the to understand what's going on as long as you know what's happened in Buffy which you do I definitely recommend watching them because it's intense gets intense so Uh, A quote from Joss Whedon when it comes to faith. He said, We wanted to explore being a slayer, the power of it, the fun it could be, how intoxicating it could be. We used faith. That's exactly kind of the epitome of what faith is. So there is overall in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there's a lot, you see some competition between all the female characters, Mm -hmm. whether they're like our longstanding characters, come and go, like supporting characters, or our, you know, big bads that are females like Glory and stuff like that, Dark Willow. Um, But speaking of Faith, so she's kind of that girl from the other side of the tracks, so to speak. You don't know much about her history, but she probably doesn't have much of a family that cares for her. You see that she, she's poor. She doesn't have a privileged upbringing. She's very extroverted. You know, she easily displays all of her, so many of her feelings, but her base kind of internal instincts of, you know, sex and fun and pleasure and food and slaying, right? That's kind of her kind of mentality. So this character comes into our already well-established female characters. And there's an immediate kind of dislike mainly with Buffy later on other people don't like Faith as much but she's kind of frowned upon she's sexually overt you know there's that presumed promiscuity you can only assume this doesn't mean she's actually like that but she (laughs) is seen as a sexual threat and uh, you know and is worthy kind of a punishment of the such behaviors and overall some of the female characters and either are characters and antagonists that are seen as sexually deviant and are therefore worthy of like the cattiness the bitchy remarks and everything and we'll get into that a little bit later on but it seemed seemed as you know acceptable so Buffy is immediately jealous and she's uncertain and weary of Faith from the get-go so she Faith is very likable She's that kind of charming, overt, fun, you know, personality. She becomes fast friends with everyone. Xander and Willow immediately are all about her. Giles thinks she has zest, quote unquote. You know what I mean? And Joyce loves her attitude towards Slay. And then for Buffy, it's like, oh, well, this is my life. And this is, you know, I don't need anybody, you know, venturing into my territory. And she feels like she has to compete. But it's amazing if you have two Slayers doing the work of Slayers, right? Uh, In season three, we see, you know, going back to Faith, her and Angel working together, but really it's a ruse (laughs) with Angel and Buffy working, you know, against Faith to kind of show what Faith is really all about by that point in time. And they're not enemies until Faith makes a move on Angel. And we have seen Faith have explicit jealousy over Buffy. Buffy has family. There's a lot of jealousy. There's competition. You know, Buffy has what Faith doesn't have. She has a family. She has friends. She has a boyfriend. She has a watcher. She has a home. She has school. Literally everything, all the signs of a conventional, normal life that Faith doesn't have and it seems maybe never had. She lives alone in these grungy motels. Like, I don't know how she's getting this money, even if it's $16 a day. Like, she doesn't have any money, right? 
never really seen how she gets that money and it's probably not by wholesome means Mm -hmm. you know and uh, during some of those episodes in season three you know Buffy states that she does think she's better than Faith which I think is uh, inappropriate I feel for Faith in a lot of ways but also Faith in those specific episodes I forget their names but it's a ruse against Faith to to find out kind of really what's going on with her and we know that she's kind of gone to quote unquote the dark side with the mayor but Faith acts like and uses her relationship, her quote unquote relationship, because it's not real, with Angel to hurt Buffy. She's like, look who I have now and thinks that now she's better than Buffy. And this raises her status as a woman because she has this relationship with with Angel. But we know and we've seen that Faith used magic to get Angel. You know, that's not Angel would never have gone after, you know, Faith in that kind of way. So. Faith uses male characters to show dominance and then that comes into the rivalry between the characters later on like Faith has sex with Xander and then like Willow's upset about that and everybody's kind of weird after that you know Buffy is aware of overall the jealousy that that she has she's aware of it she's like I know I'm being kind of crazy you know and I feel like if perhaps folks were a little bit more willing and understanding of Faith, who she is as a person and her background, and remove that jealousy and competition, which is truly unnecessary to have, and was understanding that maybe she wouldn't have gone the route that she did, you know? Mm. So I feel for her a lot. You know, Faith is that kind of attitude where she knows what she wants, she's going to get it, no matter the consequences. She doesn't really think that far ahead. She doesn't have that kind of like, she doesn't have the foresight. But Buffy is, right? She's this like formally trained slayer. She thinks about all these things, about strategy and doing the right thing. Faith is, she's that pursuit of pleasure. She has, she just wants to have fun and enjoy life. And who cares about homework and who cares about the rules? We're just going to keep going with it. So doesn't appear to have a moral compass, but Buffy does. You know, Buffy doesn't enjoy slaying, um, doesn't enjoy slaying just for the fun of it, but she does it because that's her destiny. This is what you do. Do This is, you're a good person. This is what I'm doing. Whereas, you know, Faith is the exact opposite. She's the dark slayer, so to speak. <laughs> Not only does she just wear a lot of dark clothing and dark lipstick and has dark hair, that's all for a reason, obviously. <laughs> you know? So Faith is kind of like she's good, quote unquote, on the outside, but she's bad internally. She's a force for doing good things, but she isn't. Because unlike Buffy, she's not fighting because it's her destiny and to, you know, fight evil and protect people. She does it because she likes the way it feels. It gets her juiced, right? She gets off on it. She's like, this is super fun. Look, I have superpowers, you know? And Buffy sees the slayerness as like a morality issue. Faith sees it as superiority. I kind of agree with her there, but I would still, you know, do the right thing and help people out. Uh, Faith lacks the responsibility and morality that Buffy has. Buffy is altruistic and Faith is not. She gets easily hooked on, you know, the dark side of things. She's a thrill seeker. You know, as we talked about in the, the episode Bad Girls, like she doesn't care necessarily that she kills a human being right she suppresses those feelings of guilt because faith just likes feeling pain and negative feelings she's like no 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 no. we're just gonna it's five by five we're gonna keep on going we like pleasure we don't regret anything yeah faith is a very interesting character and i also really enjoy faith as a character throughout the series um she's also known as the in a couple articles that i read um, are about faith is that she's also known as the rogue slayer 
So Faith portrays to the world what she feels is normal for a Slayer. While in private, she's actually a confused girl looking for answers and she's looking for her own identity and she's looking for someone she can open up to and trust. And in a way, she thought Buffy was going to be that person. But Buffy, but, you know, like by letting the Buffy's own insecurities and feelings of competition come up, she kind of blocks uh, Faith from actually ever truly connecting with her and connecting with Faith and understanding her. And because Faith is just an individual, she's a woman who's looking for guidance. She's looking for a mentor. She's looking for someone she can trust. She lost her watcher in a very dramatic way. She thought she found that in this new watcher that came along, that woman who was like literally in one episode, I cannot even remember her name. And she was hoping maybe she could also find that in Giles as uh, being a watcher to her as well. But in a way, she's but be, being betrayed as, portrayed as the bad girl and as the, the dark side of, of slaying and of Buffy, she gets outcasted from the group. So when we see Faith fall into a path of evil and the redemption, she is more aware of what she's portraying to the world is not who she is, truly is. And we see that Faith will give her allegiance to anyone, good or bad, if they empathize with, empathize with her and understand her problems. She rejects anyone who tries to put authority over her. Uh, anyone who tries to uh, make her feel bad about herself or tries to make her do something that she does not agree with or is not in alliance with what she feels is right, she rejects that. She uses whatever means she does to perform her job as a slayer, even if it's her talents of seduction and and um, being able to do her job. She understands. She knows her duties, and she will do whatever she can to perform her duties. And when Buffy and the Scoobies, uh, Xander, Willow, they demand anything from Faith, she shuts them out, forcing her world facing her identity. Shows her world facing identity. So she shows the world what she wants people to see, but not showing them what she sees herself inside so she's very conflicted uh, faith is a very conflicting character because she's really she has all this strength she has all this awareness but at the same time too she's also a very vulnerable young woman and when she turns to the mayor as a father figure she finds herself opening up to him and she feels when especially when she feels isolated from the scooby gang as they labeled her you know slut and a bad girl and a negative influence on buffy and as we see this relationship between uh, her and the mayor develop, we see that Faith is very loyal to those she cares about. Um, and she's no longer concerned about her image as a slayer. If someone gives, gives to her what she's looking for, which is love and understanding and care and concern and just, you know, being open to her, she will give everything she can. She will, she will show her loyalty. And that's one, one of the things I really like about Faith as a character. She is very loyal. Once that you have Faith on your side, you're fine you're great you're good completely and i think if they would have just let her be who she is yeah she's a bit of a wild card but in initially she was like yeah okay i'm gonna follow along with some of these guidelines yeah. but if we just let her be who she is be like she's strong she gets you're right she gets the work done she enjoys her work which is fine Yep. You know, that's great. Enjoy your job and your career, right? Your destiny. But I think if they just like, just accepted who she is and realized, like, no, she's not Buffy, but she is her own individual self. All the Slayers are different. Anytime yeah. you meet a different Slayer, everybody, they all have their own kind of, like, strengths and weaknesses and their own individuality. I think that she would have been such a great addition and not gone to the way in the way that she did and it, I just I always feel for her so much Ugh, yeah faith faith is you know has always seen as like the wild card and the interesting thing between her and Buffy and we know that faith has problems with authority figures as she states you know so 
coming back to the bad girl, the sexually open type woman, which Buffy is very much not that, and we'll definitely get into that. So when Buffy eventually rejects the Watcher's Council, is like, I'm done with this. We see it as a feminist act of independence. But when Faith does this essentially the same way, without as much tact, she's seen as uncontrollable, and then her rejection of the Watcher's Council would be viewed for disciplinary action. Yeah. Right? And I just... I can't even believe it. Again, it comes back to the aspect of these type of strong, quote unquote, sexually deviant, dark women that have complete like bodily autonomy and sexual agency in this whole show that they're treated very differently. So Faith lives her life by her own rules. And she is slut-shamed multiple times in this show for her open sexuality. She has a non-monogamous nature. She's okay with one night stands and she's highly sexual and definitely in comparison to the female, the main female characters that we have in the show, Cordelia, Willow, and Buffy. And there's this article that I, I read, it's called Rebel Girl, Faith and Bad Girl Feminism that kind of highlights this and we'll get into this a bit more and it's the third wave feminist movement encouraged women to fight against gender sexual inequalities by taking an approach to sex that was associated with masculinity. Society constructs masculine qualities towards one night stands and promiscuity that don't label a guy as a quote unquote slut. Faith embodies ideas that are associated with men, her aggressive nature and sexual freedom and ability to take what she wants. Although many find her impulsive and abrasive, Faith's personality is one of the most challenging to stereotypical gender norms. Her approach to sex would be rewarded if she were a man, but as a woman within a not very sex positive and slightly misogynistic Sunnydale community, she is criticized and harshly. And as it seems, we think much too harshly. And she is criticized. And this is, like I said initially, this is, I think, a low point for the series as a whole. You know, we have... That definitely, that's so perfect in its description of what Faith is like. And she's so open and okay with her sexuality and her, you know, sexual prowess mm-hmm. and her strength as a woman, as a slayer. And their slayerness gives her more strength and power as a woman. She feels that. And Buffy doesn't, until I think much later, really develop that kind of sense of confidence and sexuality within her being a slayer. Um, Faith does have trouble with actual intimacy with people that we see in later seasons whereas Buffy is very comfortable with emotional intimacy and closeness mm-hmm. um, but she has discomfort with promiscuity and one night stands and you know we see that really once because she's not really she's again she's just not that type to have that kind of sexual behavior in relationships that you know, one night stand in college that she has and she's really upset that it was only a one night oh, stand yeah. and really just, and he kind of ghosts her and he's just like, what, what do you, what did you expect? And she just wanted more. She just puts more importance on sex and sexuality as opposed to what Faith does. She's a bit more fluid with it, a little bit more lax with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which makes, you know, again, a, por- a portion of that is what makes Faith be seen as the quote unquote bad girl. You know, she's positioned 
any any of the times that we see Faye, she's positioned as she can't have a quote-unquote positive sexual encounter or express her sexuality in a healthy manner. Like, she has that brief fling with Xander, but then when she, they maybe go at it again, she tries to strangle him. She has, like, which I think was not a necessary type way to, 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 to portray her, and it doesn't make an incredible amount of sense but it just shows her you know the element of danger and everything and like whoa what a wild card you don't know she can't have good things in her life you know faith will always be seen as an outsider when she comes later on i can't wait to revisit faith but when she comes later on in the series she's still seen as an outsider We're like mm, it's faith Wah-wah. like she can't be forgiven we forgive yeah. so many characters in this show for doing really bad have- things like Willow, like Angel, but we never fully accept Faith. And I find that really sad because she is a wonderful person and woman and she's done a lot. And I think that's, we should, I think we should forgive her. So she's seen as a wild god. She's the quote unquote uncontrollable woman. And we see that with other female villains. We see it at Dark Willow, Vamp, Vamp Willow, Glory, Faith's new watcher that we see her turn bad. Darla, Drusilla. And so therefore, like Faith and all those other women, it seems to be acceptable to be like competitive and jealous and bitchy and catty towards her because of her sexuality and her appearance and, and everything like that. So Faith is represented as a darker side of slang. And what we can when we relate this to feminism, we see Faith as representative of the postmodern feminism. So feminism that is sexualized femininity, it is more radical, it's a little more aggressive and almost man-hating. Whereas apart from Buffy, who is representative of third wave feminism, which is that of girl power, being assertive while also being still feminine at the same time. Faith loves being a slayer. She sees it as more than a duty in comparison to Buffy. She's she's like, I got this gig, I got this job, this is great, let's love it. I'm living my life a large living large. But yeah, at the culture perspective, she's seen as a bad girl. The one that the bad girl that in your mind she lurks in the re- recesses of the masculine imagination. Her purpose is to stalk and capture men and then destroy them. The bad girl destroys masculinity with her femininity and then will eventually take over as well. Like, oh shit. This is where, you know, this fear of being a powerful, sexualized woman is a bad thing because she will destroy the men around her, not only the women, but also the men around her as well. Buffy is representative of a balance between power and restraint, girliness and aggression, whereas Faith refuses. She refuses outwardly and she is an independent and she makes this known. Her contemporary, in quotes, rock star look classifies her as dangerous and seductive and she'll always be an outsider of the group. And what I really like in this article that talked about uh, Faith in, as an ideal of postmodern feminism is that she shows what women could be with a girl power that is more aggressive than that's socially acceptable. But her journey throughout the series from falling into evil ways and her redemption, it goes to show that she is the bad girl that will never truly be accepted in society despite her feminist ideals, despite her embracing her sexuality and owning her power as a woman, she will never be seen as the same girl who conforms to the societal norms. She'll never be seen as a Buffy. Ugh. I love this, but I hate it at the same time. You know, I it's uh, I enjoy Faith so much. She's such a fascinating character. And I just, I wish, like, I understand why she, like, why she's portrayed as she is. But I, I really wish that she, and maybe by the end of the series, you know, we could have seen her differently. 
or at least portrayed differently. I really wish that for her. Like she really like we could we could probably do like a whole episode, another episode on how <laughs> uh, tragic of a character uh, Faith is throughout the series. Completely. You made a really good point about the idea, about the statement is that she has never truly forgiven for anything. And the things that she has done is not truly as bad as the things that Angel did or nope. that, you know, Giles did or that Willow did or Anya. Like all these, like all these main characters, like they've done some pretty shitty things to each other or and stuff like that. But they're all forgiven in some way, shape, or form. But Faith, never truly forgiven. Nope. Nope. And you know, give give her a chance and she can be just, I think, just as powerful and strong of a slayer and a person and a woman and a leader as Buffy. But she just unfortunately is almost ne- pretty much never given the chance, which I think yeah. is such a such a shame. I have a question for you. What's that? So who do you relate to the most? Or if you were a slayer, who would you be more like? Faith. What would you be like? Faith. Oh. Oh, okay. In what ways? Um, and if I were able to embrace my sexuality like Faith could does, I would love that uh, to be in that way, and also to understand that yes, I have this power, and I don't know. Like, there's a part of me that why I enjoy Buffy as a character. Her, she always makes her her sense of duty like it's such a huge weight on her shoulders, and really gripes about it sometimes too much. And I feel like with Faith, where she understands that she has this weight on on her shoulders, she's like, I'm also gonna live life. Like it's not as horrible as you think it is. Right, that's fair. I think for myself personally, I would definitely be a blend of both. Mm. Obviously, I take over the style of of Drusilla. Sorry, I just looked the name. Obviously, I take after the style and clothing aesthetics of <laughs> faith um but but you'd be a buffy i would have both because i i like teaching and structure i don't think i would be so i would have i think i would have faith's zest let's say and just like having a good time with it I would love that kind of strength. I have had so many dreams of me being a vampire slayer where I have that kind of strength and I think it's amazing. So I'd have kind of like the fun loving, the fun loving slayer, but with a structure. Cause I, I'm also a nerd. I'd love to read up on this stuff, right? Like Buffy is not the research type. Like she doesn't want to yeah. know who she's fighting. Whereas I would love to know more about monsters and demonology yeah. <laughs> and witchcraft, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'd be like the research nerdy side of slaying so like the history lessons, but then I'd be like the fun loving dancing at the bronze and then maybe go like kill a vampire and have sex later. Type slayer. <laughs> there we go. Ow, ow. <laughs> uh, all right. So now we're going to choose our favorite season out of one, two and three and talk about it. So Jess, which one is your favorite season? My favorite season is season three because there's more. You learn more about the Slayers. I like the. Uh, you learn more about the Council. You learn more about the Slayers. You see this great growth, the development of Will's characters, like all of their characters. They grow and develop more. Um, <laughs> less about Angel, which is great. Yeah, I like season. Season three is my favorite. Okay, so my favorite season is number two. Season three is great, and Faith almost wins it completely for me, except I 
I love Spike and Drusilla as the big bad more so than the mayor. The mayor is really fun. He's really interesting. But I love the darkness that an entire season encompasses. And it's so devastating. The whole mm. angel thing. I'm a huge angel fan. Jenny Callender. Drusilla is one of my favorite, like, one of my favorite vampires. One of my favorite female characters. She's so interesting. Um, them, her and Spike together make for a, such a fun, unpredictable, big bad for the season. We meet Kendra, the vampire slayer, mm. right? She's so fun. <laughs> There's so many, like, strong, dark, comedic episodes. And again, like I said, I think it's the most devastating, emotionally upsetting season finale. And it's really everything that I wanted and adore of the show in that one season. So that's why it's my favorite. On to Spinster's final thoughts. So, your final thoughts, Kelly, on the first three seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, Buffy was this complete anomaly, right? So rarely does a TV show based on a movie become successful, especially during the 90s. There weren't many of them. You know, maybe MASH. MASH was a thing that was super popular. (laughs) Yes, it was. you know, especially for the type of show that it was, right? The, the genre hybrid combining like horror and comedy, teenagers and feminism all together, right? Few have done what Buffy has done and has, you know, her, her I'm going to say her, her success and the show's success, you know, many have tried, many have failed. And it continues to gain fans even after, you know, being off the air for so many years. Like you're one of them, right? Mm-hmm. Buffy has been in my life for 22 years now, and it's deeply connected to who I am as a person and as a woman today, and I still gain more and more from the show after each rewatch, reading articles and essays on it. It's incredible to learn so much more about the show and the themes and all the characters in it, and I'm, I was so excited to get back into the series, and I already <laughs> look forward to parts two and three. <laughs> I'm already thinking about it. I can't wait. So I have always loved the diversity of women in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and, you know, however... As a 35-year-old woman now, looking back, learning more, leaning more deeply into these women and the show, I think I have gained even more of a significant understanding and appreciation of them as a whole. Willow, Jenny Callender, Faith, you know, just thinking of seasons one through three. You know, there are things that I have learned and have seen now that I probably barely understood when I was a teenager, right? When I first started watching the show, but... I've I just enjoy learning so much more about them. I love the show even more and more, if it's even possible, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody is so infinitely complicated and interesting. And really, I want to thank you, Joss Whedon, again, for such incredible female characters. You know, after all these years, I continue to fall more and more in love with the show. And I just, I was so happy to, to revisit it with our spinsters of horror lens. And being a late comer to the series and really coming to appreciate all the characterizations of Buffy, the Scooby gang, the her watcher Giles, like I really enjoy the series for the world that it creates and it develops and the mythology and the myth of the, the, the Slayer and the council and just always, you know, always knowing that there's this this idea of like, you know, um, in every generation, the Slayer is born and we have someone who comes out and protects the world from evil. And I really love that concept, that bringing able that, you know, mixing the horror, comedy, supernatural element to a series. And as like Kelly said, 
it was um, a flash in the pan. It was so successful, and other series, other series just haven't been able to do it as successfully. Like I know people talk about like the Vampire Diaries, and to we get strong, inspiring female role models throughout the series, as Kelly says, and as older women, we can also relate more to some of the issues that they uh, stumble upon in their own growth and development, and remind us of some of the things that we had to also experience as teenagers, and how we felt, and how awkward it was, or how emotionally impactful it was. But what I really love about the series is that in every episode there is some form some shape or form of some really important messaging that is being brought out and I really like how this was a series that Joss Whedon like once again was able to you know really support cultural dissent and really challenge uh, societal norms and engage with uh, t- themes of environmentalism feminism fighting against things of um, of you know just things that are cult that are inappropriate you know uh, rape child abuse um, date almost like you know there's that whole episode that was almost about date rape and for uh, fraternal societies just so many themes that are so still relevant today in our 21st century that it's still amazing I think this is why it's such a great series and what I really appreciate about it and why I have no problems revisiting it time and time again when we need to if the master rises I don't care I don't care I'm 16 years old. I don't want to die. So, that ends our first episode and first look into the incredible TV series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We want to thank Dance with the Dead for our intro and outro music, Robeast, and Brandon for his work on all of our promotional materials. Also, to all you listeners, we want to remind you to follow us on our website at spinstersofhorror.com, our Facebook group at Spinsters of Horror. We're also on Twitter at Horror Spinsters. Our Instagram account is at Spinsters of Horror. As well, please rate and review us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and any podcasting app you listen to us on. And reminder, we have merch, so please visit TeePublic to purchase our t-shirts and buy stickers from our shop. Next month is part two of our three-part series of the exploration into the top three horror icons. Next, we hack and slash our way through the Friday the 13th franchise. But until then, remember, the future of fear is female.